Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. As Christians, we should approach our faith with the same level of seriousness, devotion, commitment, self-sacrifice as a top-tier athlete would in his or her chosen sport. And just as a top-tier athlete can't be nonchalant about practice, can't eat whatever they want to eat whenever they want to eat it, can't just do whatever they want to do, so followers of Jesus Christ can't be nonchalant. We can't do whatever it is that we want to do. Paul says, listen, I want you to run in such a way as to get the prize. And you're just saying, God, what is going on here? Uh, You know, is this prayer thing doing any good? Are my prayers getting past the ceiling? Are they just getting stopped right there? Do you even care up there what's going on? You ever had any of those feelings about prayer? I bet you have, sure you have. Because prayer is real, it's earthy, it's gritty, it's authentic, it's genuine. There's a relationship here. There's a dialogue that's going on here where someone is saying, God, if you don't, it won't. You gotta do something. There's no other way. And so I'm not leaving. I'm staying, God, and I'm gonna keep asking, and I'm gonna keep seeking, I'm gonna keep knocking. Because if you won't, it won't. And I'm not leaving. Because sometimes it's going to take a few days. Sometimes it's going to take a few weeks. Sometimes it's going to take a few months or a few years or a few decades. But I know when you get a no, sometimes it's easy to get jaded and cynical and the devil tries to sneak in and say, see, you can't trust God. He, you need to take life into your own hands. Take matters into your own hands. You've got to be your own boss. You've got to be your own king. You've got to take... Don't do it. Because I know, I know, it can be hard, especially when the prayer is taking long and we're having to persevere and continue asking and seeking and knocking. Don't lose sight of the fact, though, of who it is that we're talking to. We're talking to a good, good father. Amen. So that's where we've been the last two weeks. We're in the middle of a series that we're calling Resync, where we're just getting our hearts reconnected to heaven. Welcome. Glad that you are here. If you're just brand new, you're jumping in on a perfect day. All right. So. Glad that you're here. We're going to go in just a moment to the New Testament in the book of Luke. Why don't you turn there in your Bibles? If you didn't bring one and you'd like to follow, why don't you wave at one of the ushers? They're coming with some some Bibles right now, and you are welcome to borrow one of ours um, or uh, and even keep it if you need a Bible. It's our gift to you. So we're going to talk about a subject today that has to be talked about if we're going to talk about getting our hearts re-synced up, reconnected uh, with heaven. Let me start us by telling you an interesting story that I read. Pastor Tony Evans describes a man who said, last month my aunt died and left me $25,000. And then last week, he said, my brother died and left me $38,000. He said, but I'm so depressed now. The friend said, why are you depressed? The man said, because this week nobody died. (laughs) Now, I'm sure that's not a true story, but I'll tell you something that is true. And that is that residing in all of us is a quest for more that can twist up even the best of our most common sensibilities. I see people all the time who start out uh, in life wanting nothing more than just the normal uh, middle-class suburban sort of life, right? With a house and a car and a couple of kids and a pet or two. And over years, though, those very same people have now run up 
huge amounts of debt on credit cards to support what was once such a simple lifestyle, but it kind of got carried away from them, and now they can't afford it, and before they know it, it is absolutely the tail wagging the dog, and it's all they can think about now, their financial situation, their worries, their stresses, the the, the whole time they can't even enjoy this life that they've created for themselves. As one author put it, many Americans are making not a living, they're making a dying, killing themselves to sustain a life that we just can't afford. Now, if you've been at Faith Bridge for any length of time, you know that we don't talk about money and possessions and materialism and greed and things like that. Not very much we don't. Several times a year. That's about it. Certainly not as often as Jesus did. I didn't know that until I was studying this week. Do you know he talked about money matters 10 times more often than he talked about sex? Why do we not talk about it nearly that much? I'll tell you why. And that's because uh, on any given Sunday, we know here at Faith Bridge that we have people all across the, the continuum in their faith journey. We have people who are just starting out in their faith, we have people who've been at it for a long, long time. But particularly for those that are just starting out or just not even quite starting out, they're still exploring. They're still thinking about the claims of, of the cross and Jesus and the Bible and these sorts of things. We've just come to understand that when you get talking about what Jesus said about money, if you don't have any foundation to metabolize that through, it makes utterly no sense and becomes very, very confusing to people very, very quickly. They don't understand what in the world was Jesus going for. And so we, before we get into our text, I just want to say something very clearly here. If you are brand new, maybe you came just in the recent weeks, maybe at Easter, maybe you just crossed the line of faith and said, I want to have Jesus into my heart. Maybe you just right there at the start or not even quite there starting, you're still sort of thinking about these sorts of things. I just want to make sure that you understand before we talk about what we're going to talk about today. Very clearly, Jesus is not asking for your money today. He, and I'm certainly not asking for your money today. All right, let's just get that out very, very uh, clearly. Um, now, Jesus is going to ask you for something, but it's not your money. It's something a lot more than that, but we'll get to that at the end. Now, the text that we're going to look at today comes from Luke chapter 12. All right, Luke chapter 12, and the setting is this. Jesus was teaching his disciples, but as was always the case when he was teaching his disciples, there's other people who are gathering, and they're listening in to what he's teaching them. Let's look at what he said, or what, what happened, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <clears throat> Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And this is really interesting. Jesus had been teaching something that had nothing to do with greed. He had been teaching, some, he'd been saying in the previous verse something about the Holy Spirit, as a matter of fact, you can go back and read it. And this man from out in the crowd, he's not even one of the disciples Jesus is, is teaching. He just blurts out, he just interrupts. He says, tell my brother, you, we, we need an arbiter. He's not handling the, the inheritance right at all. Now, why in the world would he do that? Here's why. Because in those days, several thousand years ago, uh, in that Jewish culture, many times rabbis were used as the arbitrators, sort of like we use judges today. And so I'm sure he was listening there to, to Jesus, but sort of daydreaming, thinking about this, maybe he's a younger brother. And he had an older brother, and he's really upset at that little brother because you're not doing it the right way. And so he just blurts it out. Hey, Rabbi, I need you to be an arbiter. <laughs> Jesus, he says, okay, look, uh, you're going to find another rabbi to do that because I'm, I'm not going to get into arbitration uh, between you and your brother. But I will say this, never one to miss a teaching moment. He said, you better watch out because there is something happening to you, and you don't see it. And in a word, it's greed. 
It's sneaking up on you, and you don't even see that. Leads us to the first of four observations I want to draw us to out of the text today. So if you're a note taker, here's number one of four. Greed is very hard for us to identify, particularly in ourselves. It's sort of like B.O., You can smell it on other people very easily, but it's hard to pick up on ourselves, right? And this is how greed works. We we can't see it so much uh, in ourselves. And this is why Jesus says, you gotta watch out. This one's gonna sneak up on you. You notice he doesn't say, watch out for sex or adultery or lying or stealing or killing. Why does he not say watch out for, because those are very clear. You're like, there's no subtlety about that. It's either you did or you didn't. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's right there. I've had any number of guys who've come and said to me over the years, we sit down, what's on your mind? I say, they say, well, I've got a pornography problem. Okay, well, let's start dealing with the problem. You know, or maybe I've committed adultery. I know, I, I, it's crazy how I've gotten, what am I gonna do? And, okay, well, that's very clear. So now we know what the problem is. I've never in all my years of ministry had somebody come in and say, it was last Tuesday, right around 2, 3 p.m. I became a greedy pig. And ever since then, I've just been materialistic and I just can't get it out of my mind. That never happens. See, greed, it kind of, where does it start and where does it end? It just sort of starts sneaking up in, on you. And that's why we can't, that's why Jesus said, you gotta watch out. This thing is very slippery and it'll come in on you. Don't see it's happening to you. Let's go on and look at verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, let's just analyze this little story that he's telling. He's, he's saying, now this man, I'm not saying he'd done anything dishonest at all. He'd been successful. Let's give him the benefit of that. He'd been totally honest. He's just been successful. He's made a lot. And he's filled up one barn. And he filled up another. And he said, let's just tear down all the barns. We need bigger barns. Now, that's hard for us to translate because most of us, we're not agricultural thinkers. Um, so change that word barn for bank. <laughs> that bank's just not big enough to hold all the stuff that I have. All right? This is the sort of thing that Jesus is trying to illustrate. So the man's problem, it wasn't success. It was focus. And that leads to the second observation that I want to make from our passage today. Greed causes us to get very much confused about who owns what. Greed causes confusion in our brains about who owns what. That's my account, it's my house, it's my job, it's my truck. When we say, it's mine, it's all mine, who's the focus? It's on me, I'm focused on me, clearly. And yet, notice what God says in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in this earth belongs to him. And so you hear God saying, wait a second, what are you talking about? That's yours. That's not yours. It's mine. Everything in the whole wide world is mine, says the Lord. I've just put it into your hands of stewardship for a while. But then someday you won't be here. You'll move on and it will pass into somebody else's hands. And so he's saying, you got to watch out because you don't realize what's going on here. You're getting your ownership matters confused. Now, I didn't tell you the end of the story last week or the rest of the story, uh, which uh, I'll tell you today. And that is, I was telling last week when we were talking about prayer, that story about how uh, nine years ago, Suzanne and I had our sights so set on this new house that we were building, and it was just going to be so wonderful, and, and, but we could not sell our old house. And we prayed and, prayed, and it just wasn't selling and finally, I had worked it out on my spreadsheet. 
we can carry both notes. Here's how we'll carry both notes. We'll just, and we can just do this indefinitely. Only problem with that, I calculated, is that it is going to use up our margin. We don't have any margin. So the question sometimes would come to me in the middle of the night, but what if there's an emergency? Then what are you going to you, You'll be tied up in two notes, and, and then what? And then one day, I had a breakthrough. I, here's what I'll do. I said, God, we've always been faithful to tithe. We've given back at least 10%. And in the early years of the church, we gave back more like 20 or 30%. And so if there's an emergency and you haven't sold our home, we'll just take it out of your pot, God. We'll just take it out of our giving, and then we'll cover the emergency. No sooner was I thinking those thoughts than did the Lord bring Luke 12 to my mind. What are you thinking? I thought to myself, you're out of your mind. How could you ever stand up in front of a congregation with any integrity whatsoever and, and say, you just got to trust God. You got to put it in God's hand. When you are white knuckling this and jamming it through, when clearly I'm not in it. How could you ever stand before hundreds of thousands of people and talk to them about the, the miracle of generosity. If you're skimping out, you're not even modeling that yourself. When it was that next morning when Suzanne woke up, I said, we've, we've got to end this. this is, we're not supposed to have this house. It's just clearly God is not in this. You're like, well, so like, what's the rest of the story? Well, you got to go back. If you weren't here, you got to hear the message from last week. So I don't have time to tell you the rest of the story. But I tell you that part because I think it's important for you to know that I am well aware that this greed thing, it can wrap its claws around any of our necks. None of us is exempt from this. It can sneak up on any of us, catch us from behind where we start doing this sort of thinking and rationalizing and, and getting confused. Who owns what? So we wrestle uh, with the same things that this man was wrestling with. And we fail to remember there is a day coming when what we have is going to pass into the hands of other people. And, and so th the earth is the Lord's and the fullness there up. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You protest that. You're like, yeah, you say the earth is the Lord's. But I'm telling you, what's mine is mine. I've worked hard for it. I'm a high-octane person. I've achieved a lot, and it is mine. Let me ask you something. Where, how did you ever get that good mind that you have that's made you so successful? Um, how did you ever get that, that healthy body that hadn't had heart problems or cancer problems and you just keep on going. Who gave you that body? See, if, if you start inventorying things for just a moment, you, who gave you those talents that you have? How do those get inside of you? They just make you naturally better than other people at certain things. It doesn't take long and you'll begin to realize everything you have finds its way back upstream to God. That's where it all comes from. And that's how come he can say, the earth is mine and everything in it. As one pastor said, you and I, we are combinations of nothing more than two things. We're combinations of you're, you're nothing more than everything you've been taught by other people and what you've been given by God. That pretty much is it. And that's why somebody who really has said, I want to follow after Jesus, doesn't hesitate to acknowledge everything that I have. It belongs to him. It comes from him, and it belongs to him. I'm just a temporary steward of it right here and right now. Because you and I, we came into this world with nothing, and we're going to go out of this world with nothing. The man in the story, he'd never considered this. Clearly, which we see what Jesus thought of in verse 20. God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is going to be demanded from you. And then who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? Which leads to a third observation that we make from the text. The perspective of greed is terribly, terribly short-sighted. It's short-sighted. It never sees past 
the immediate. A lot of people these days are what uh, people call as market timers, right? Watching the stock market for signs that the market is going to drop and then they'll reinvest when it's going to be safe and when it's going to go up. I found this, this interesting in my study. This is an, IBM, big blue, right? IBM first got listed on the New York Stock Exchange in 1915. And so here's a trivia question. If you acquired just one share of IBM back on that day when it went public in 1915, do you know how much you would be worth today? You know the answer? I'll tell you the answer. If you had acquired one share of IBM stock in 1915, today you would be dead. You'd be worthless because that was 103 years ago. Okay, we have a way of forgetting this. We tend to forget, but Jesus, he was like, no, you gotta see things with a longer view than you're seeing them. You think that you're a long-term planner, but you're not long-term planning. You're short-sighted. And that's the problem. Jesus made clear, there's two markets going on here. And he's the ultimate market timer. He says, one of the markets is a temporary earthly market. And Jesus was very bearish about that market. But on the other hand, there's another market, the heavenly market that he's extremely bullish about. And so any investment strategy that you and I ascribe to that doesn't have anything to do with storing up eternal treasures but only earthly treasures is terribly short-sighted. It's like this. Imagine that you checked into a hotel room, but you settle in that hotel room. You say, you know, these towels are sort of thin. I don't like them so much. And so you run out to uh, Bed Bath & Beyond and you buy some really nice top-of-the-line towels and you bring them back in, you hang them up, and you say, no, this is better. But you know the walls... They need some art. So you go to an art gallery and you decorate the walls with some expensive art that you buy. And then you say, well, you know, the mattress, it's kind of lumpy. Uh, and then you go to, you know, mattress firm and, and you, you, you buy a top of the line mattress and get that thing brought. And then on the way back, you say, well, let's go to Best Buy. It does need a good, you know, high def, uh, you know, widescreen TV. And they'll even install it today. Who in their right mind would do that with a hotel room? Nobody, why? because you're checking out very shortly. And this, comparatively speaking, in terms of eternity, is what God was saying about our existence here on earth. Why would you keep putting resources into the here and now of this life, this earthly life? See, the problem, he said, that the problem with this man in the story was not that he was thinking in terms of long-term planning, uh, incompletely, he was thinking long-term planning. He was just, he, all he was planning for was for the next 20 or 30 or 40 or maybe 50 years. It had never occurred to him he was going to go on throughout eternity for thousands and millions more years. And then what? What's stored up for you then, Jesus said, you fool. You haven't thought of any of that. And that's why Jesus offered the greatest investment tip to all of us in another verse in Matthew uh, 6, 19. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where there's neither moths nor rust nor thieves. For where your treasure is, your heart will also be. He's saying, the more that you save up on this side of heaven, the more there is to be lost to moths and rust and thieves. So why do you keep storing things up here? You can't take it with you. But what he's saying is you can send it on ahead. You can put it forward into your heavenly account. How? By sharing some of it, by giving it away, by being generous, generous and striking a blow across the mouth of the greed monster in so doing. Look at verse 21. This is how it'll be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. 
Fourth and final point for today. You'll nev- you and I will never be rich towards God if you're only rich towards yourself. Since the man in Jesus' story couldn't see past any of this life on earth, the only person he was ever rich towards was himself. He's never rich towards God. And you know, all of us can be just like that man, can't we? We spend money that we don't have to get things that we can't afford. But then maybe we have a friend who's going on a mission trip or one of the youth that says, could I have some support? I'm going on a road journey. Or, or maybe somebody tells you about a kid for Compassion International or another organization that could use your support to get food and clothing. And, and, and they say, could you make an offering? Could you make a donation? And what do we do? We hum and holler. And say, well, oh, goodness. Let me, you know, and we open the doors of our barns and we're like, you know, I think maybe I could eke out a 50, here you go, honey, you know, or maybe $100. But several hours after that person leaves, we go to the mall and we see things that were like, oh my gosh, or you go to the car lot and you start seeing a new car. And before long, we're doing backflips of creativity to figure out how we can engineer the acquisition of those things. Do you see the hypocrisy in that? There's something highly, highly uh, inconsistent about that. What is it telling us? It's telling us that greed has wrapped its claws around our throats again. Watch out, Jesus is saying. But when God is giving us an opportunity to be, be rich towards him, why don't we seize that as the opportunity to be rich towards him instead of just being rich towards ourself? We say, well, I just don't have enough. You know what, people from parts of Latin America, from Asia, from Africa, they would hear you and me say, oh, I, I don't have enough, I can't give anymore. They would roll their eyes. they say, what do you mean you don't have enough? Because if you make more than $25,000 a year, do you realize, and more, but at least $25,000 a year, you're already in the top. You, you make more than 98% of the rest of the world. So you see here in America, we're navigating in the two and 1%, the top. The, the reason that we feel so, like, <laughs> don't have enough, is because we're looking at the wrong people. We're looking at all of our suburban neighbors. We're not looking at the other 98% of the world. And you can just imagine them rolling their eyes if you go, I just don't have enough. They're like, you've gotta be kidding me. Oh my gosh. You're in the top 2%. If you make more than 50, 55,000, I think it was something like that. You're in the top one percentile. And so many of you, you're, you're navigating that, that, that highest one percentile, which is why Paul's word uh, to Timothy is so helpful in 1 Timothy 6. He says, command those who are rich in this present world to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, Tell them, who? The rich people, to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Now, like I said at the start of the message, if you're just starting out with Jesus, you're just exploring the faith, if you haven't been touched by his grace inside your life, forgiving you, I I know, I understand. Talk about giving your money, it sounds crazy. I understand that. And that's why I made the disclaimer at the front of the message. But let me tell you something that's even crazier than giving your money away. Here's what those of us who follow Jesus understand to be even crazier than that. And that is that after God created us to walk in fellowship with him, and after we had shaken our fists at God and said, I don't want to walk in fellowship with you. I wanna live life my way after we had rebelled and after sin had broken the world, instead of firebombing this planet, which he could have easily done and just said, I'm packing out of here. I'll just go start over with some new people in a new universe and see if they can do better at loving me and being in a relationship. He didn't do that. He said, but I love you people that I've created. And I've always wanted to be in a relationship with you. He said, so I'm gonna make a way for us to still have relationship even though you've broken this. 
And that's when he sent his son Jesus into this world to live the sinless life we couldn't live and die the death of punishment we deserved and then to conquer the grave on the third day so that we could have the assurance of life, abundant now and eternal everlastingly. And that's why 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. See, every other religion says you need to fill up your basket, get all you can. Get all the good things you can, get all of the good blessings you can, get all of the good karma you can. Fill it up, fill it up, and then maybe someday then when you stand before God, he'll say, wow, that's a pretty impressive basket you filled up. You did pretty well for yourself. Come on in. But Jesus says, that is absolutely the upside-down way that it works. If you present a big, full basket like that and say, look at all the things I got and all the things I did, God says, you're empty. On the other hand, Jesus said, if we go to him with our basket and we say, I'm empty, I've given away so much. I had so much sin, but I had been touched by your grace and by your love. I, I just poured out my life with love for other people after I realized how much you love me. He says, now let me fill up your eternal basket with heavenly riches for the next 10 million years. He says, it's a, it's a totally different scale. And so you have to understand this. That's why I've been trying to make very clear. If you're kind of new at this, you're, that, that's why you don't typically start in with money when you're trying to understand the way, because Jesus t t tips over. He turns upside down so many of the ways that we are taught to think, following Jesus. So the message today is not, you better give some more money. I'm telling you, feel guilty, give, give, give. You need to give some more money. You need to give some more money here. You need to give some more money there. That is not the message. And don't you go out of here and say that's what the message was. That is not what the message was today. The message is, I want you to come in contact with a Savior that gave his all, becoming poor so that you could become eternally rich. Because if you got in touch with that Savior, your heart would grow soft, soft to the things of God, soft to the needs of other people. And then your grip on your earthly securities, the things that you've clung to like they could carry you throughout eternity, your grip on those things will loosen and will refasten to Jesus. That's where your, eternal, your, your security will be found. So if you're in Christ, you can look at the world and you can say, world, I'm not afraid of you. You don't owe me anything. You can't frighten me. You can't take anything away from me, world. I don't care what the stock market does any, anyhow. I don't need you, world, because in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, I am rich. He is my salvation. He is my security. Again, I just want for you what Jesus wants, your heart for Jesus. Because if you could focus there, the other things, like a train, will start to come behind that engine. But don't ever start with a caboose to get that thing synced up. You get all confused and discombobulated. Now, having said what we've said here, I wanna close by getting very practical. And now I am talking to those of you who you've journeyed with Jesus for a while. You say, oh yeah, I've stepped across the line of faith. Um, I, I walk with the Lord and, and I wanna know him more and better and, and continue to grow in my faith. But I do admit this, 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 this finance, this giving, this materialism, it does, it's got its hands around my throat. I have fallen prey to the world's uh, materialistic, or at least this part of the world's materialistic grasps, clutches. I want to be rich towards God, but how do you, what does that mean? Can you like give me like 
a standard? Not really, but I think the best that maybe God's word gives to us, because God knew we were going to say, could you like give me a bullseye that I could shoot at to get going at this thing? Because I want to be rich towards God. I don't want to just be rich towards myself. It's a standard that you get in the Old Testament and you get in the New Testament too. One time Jesus mentioned it, and that's the tithe. What is a tithe? A tithe is 10%. Giving back to God 10%. Now, I realize if, you, if you're not used to, to giving things away, giving money away, this sounds asinine. You're like, that is the craziest thing I have. These people are absolutely kooky. Now, let me explain to you why it's not crazy. It's because a lot of us here, we understand kingdom mathematics. Here's kingdom mathematics. Living on 90% plus the blessings of God is of inestimable more worth than living on 100% minus the blessings of God. If it seems crazy to you, it's because you're only looking from earthly mathematical perspective. You're not looking from a kingdom mathematical perspective. You're like, huh. So you mean like people do this and they, and they like survive? Yes. Not only do they survive, they thrive. I've, I can't tell you how many notes I've gotten over the years of people who said, I, I have been trying this tithing thing and you wouldn't believe the things that have happened. I mean, one guy told me, I, like three weeks later, they walked in and said, we, we want you to, to have a new position. I jumped two levels up in the organization. The only thing I can figure is maybe there's a correlation. Is that kind of weird? I don't think that's weird. See, there's this interesting verse in the Bible. It's in Malachi 3.10. Let me read it to you. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse of the Lord that there might be food in my house. He says, test me. God says, he doesn't say test me, maybe ever, I think, in God's word. But he says, you test me in this. And see if I don't throw open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing upon you that there won't even be enough room to contain all those blessings. I can't tell you many people over the years have said, I'm going to try that. I'm going to put them to the test. In fact, years ago, we started doing something. I'm going to do it again today. We created an opportunity. See, I'm convinced that people who hold back, it's like they hear a message like this and they're like, sort of like the kid on the, on the old high dive diving boards, if you remember those. Um, I, I want to jump, but I'm just afraid I will probably die. And <clears throat> the great thing about God's word is he says, no, put me to the test. And so years ago we did something and I'm doing it again right now. We, we created what we call the Malachi 310 Challenge. Where I just say, okay, you take this challenge. I want you to tithe for the next 90 days. It's a 90-day challenge. If you make a regular paycheck, you tithe 10%. If you are a uh, commission earner, you tithe when you make a sale, right? And you do that for 90 days. And you just run this experiment. He says, test me in this. You run that experiment for 90 days. And if you get to the end of 90 days and it did not work and you have headaches and things have gone haywire and the wheels are coming off and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like the craziest, stupidest thing I ever did. Then you just call us at the church. You ask for Sully. He's our business administrator and he will give you every penny back that you gave in those 90 days. Why do we do that? Because I'm convinced fear is what holds everybody back. Um, And by suspending a a safety net, sort of like, you know, I want to walk out on that tightrope, but I'd sure feel better if there was a, well, there's a safety net for 90 days. You do that. I think they just put a slide up. There's several different ways you can do it. You can text, uh, you can go to the website, you can... You can just write it on your envelopes if you're a cash giver. Um, as long as we have a trail, 
To, you, you can't come back in 90 days and say, yeah, I gave about $20,000 in cash. Uh, and I didn't ever feel that. And that we can't give back. But, but you let us know that you did this. And we'll take that journey with you. And we'll watch what God... I know some of you are like, do, do people ever come back and say, yeah, we've had three over all the years. They were all women. Each situation was very similar. Their husband left. They were in dire straits. We gave them every penny back and more from our benevolence fund to help them. But I can't number the emails and the notes that I have had and the conversations that I've had of people who are like, I can't tell you what has happened. It's just amazing. Sometimes it's a financial blessing. Sometimes it's a marital blessing. We fight less. You, you could just go on it. A man came running up to me last Sunday in Center Court West after communion. He hugged me, put his arms around me. He said, we started tithing again. And the blessings, I just, I was like, collect yourself. And then I want to hear the story. And, and he tells it. There's another one. It's just amazing how God does this. So I want to give you the chance. You do that. I want to say... Uh, one thing, because I know sometimes when I give this challenge, those of you who give, not a tithe, but you give, you kind of tune that out. You're like, well, that'll be really good for those people who don't give. No, what it's really good for is many of you, because the American average for giving back to God is about a 1%, maybe 2%, one and a half, somewhere like that. And that's where many of you all are. And you can't really attest to a whole lot of blessings that are coming from that. I am suspending the net underneath you. Saying, why don't you really put God to the test? You know how to be rich towards yourself. I know where you live. I see the cars that you drive. They cost 60000 You You're good at being rich towards yourself, but you haven't put God to the test. Why don't you put him to the test for 90 days? And go up from that, from 1% or 2 and, and go for that tithe. And let's just see what God does. And Sully is setting all the funds aside of everybody who says, I'm in this challenge for 90 days. Those funds will be safe and available. If you need them back, they will come back to you. If, on the other hand, you are blessed, I want to hear your stories and we'll celebrate with you. We'll even send you a set of new Ginsu steak knives. Now, that part's not true. That, that actually, I just was being silly. All right, so there's no steak knives. But, but I do want to hear your stories because it's always faith building. For me as a pastor to hear how did God come through for you. And you took that step of faith and he met you. I want to hear it. I want to talk to one last category, then we're done. Some of you... You're sitting out there a little smug right now. And I know why you're smug. You're smug because you're like, I tithe. Always have. Can't remember when I didn't tithe. Or maybe you do remember. You're like, ah, that was good. I, that was a big step of faith. But now what was a big high ceiling, a big step of faith years ago, it's like a floor now. So my question, my challenge to you is, are you really being rich towards God at this point? Maybe the challenge for you is he's saying, how about you throttle forward a little bit? You could go beyond that. Why don't you test me further and see if I don't continue to surprise you with my good blessings along the way? So my challenge is that all of us take that step in this season of resinking our hearts to heaven I think we'll be pleasantly surprised at the things that he does these next 90 days. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the, uh, the truth of your word, even the permission that you give us, saying, test me, which you didn't really say much. In fact, in other places, you said, don't put me to the test. It's almost like you said, I know that you're going to need some practice or a little safety net on this one. Thank you, God. A passage like this and like many of the things that you talked about that had to do with money and greed and materialism, these are, these are challenging passages for us, Lord. Uh, my prayer is that you would meet us in these. I pray, God, for um, all of us who have been in the fold of <clears throat> faith, 
for any length of time that you would really work with us, that we would have some good conversations, even around the lunch table or uh, supper or even in the next week, that we'd really do some thinking about this and give you the opportunity and the invitation to come in and to do a new thing and a bigger thing in our life, to build our faith. I pray for the people who here, Lord, are just starting out, for whom this sermon could well have been confusing. I pray that it wasn't confusing and that they'll focus really on the main thing that they need to be focused on. And that is getting their hearts synced up with you in the first place, giving their heart to you. Even in this quiet moment, I invite you right now, if you've never said yes to Jesus, why don't you just right now say, Jesus, would you please come into my heart? I want to accept that good news. I want to trust in you, Jesus, as my salvation. I need forgiveness for my sins, new hope for life, new purpose. Would you come and be my Lord? Lead me and give me purpose in my living. We pray all of these things in your strong name, Lord. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. I'm Louie and Riley, Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Pastor Ken, who just delivered part three of our Resync series, Overcoming Materialism. Welcome, Pastor Ken. Okay, so we are working through this series on resyncing our souls with mm -hmm. God. We've talked about the Word of God, we've talked about prayer, mm -hmm. and today we talked about something that can hinder us from syncing with God <laughs> greed and yeah. materialism. We yeah. talked about how to overcome that. Yeah. Um, and so we did have some questions come around. Uh, the first one I want to ask you about is the Malachi 310 challenge. Sure. Um, you explained the challenge uh, in your message, um, but explain it here just quickly and then tell us how does someone do that? How does someone sign up for it? Yes. yes. And my apologies to the early crowd, the first service, I forgot to get into that detail. Mm -hmm. uh, and I realized that when I was in the atrium and a man came up and said, I'm taking your challenge. I'm like, great. I forgot to tell so you how to do that. There, it's, well, you can do it any which yes. way you want, but okay. it would help us, mm -hmm. especially just in the tracking. Mm -hmm. If you'd go online to um, right faithbridge.org slash M310 uh -huh. or text to 797979. Mm -hmm. Text M310. M310. And that way we can get you sort of officially on that list and we can pray for you as well um, during the 90 day challenge. And then you'll also want to write on your envelope or your check. Uh, you can do it that way as well, right in 310 on there as well. Yeah, good. good. Yeah, so excited to see what God does through that it's challenge. Always it's always exciting. It yeah, is. there's always so many stories of God's faithfulness through yeah. that challenge. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about tithing. So the question came in that said, Ken, wasn't the tithe specific to the law which the Jews lived under? And weren't there three tithes they had to pay? Is this a general tithe of 10% something that you benchmark? Um, because what does it look like in the New Testament church? Sure, yeah, right. In the Old Testament, there was all sorts of things. Um, so let's go New Testament. Okay. Jesus says uh, one day to the Pharisees, you honor me with the tithe, mm -hmm. but I'm looking through to your heart and I'm seeing what's going on there. And we've got a problem. He said, you should tithe, but, and then he goes on uh, from there. And now let's go to another passage. He. I'm thinking of the scene when he was sitting with the disciples and they were watching the people putting their offerings in and the widow goes up, drops her last two coins in. He says, mm -hmm. that was impressive. If you want to know what's impressive, not the tithe. She just gave everything. She just poured her, her whole in there. Talk about surrender um, here. And so... I think uh, when sometimes people say, so is the tithe just, isn't that an Old Testament thing? 
say, well, yeah, that's where it started. Jesus did allude to it one time, then he built on it. And then, of course, he didn't give us 10% of his blood and 10% of his life on the cross. He gave us 100%. And so when we move into New Testament standards, the tithe becomes a floor, not a ceiling. Um, now, realistically, in our overextended day and age, it feels like a mammoth ceiling for a lot of people um, to even consider, wow, that would be like a huge step of faith. But the questioner is right. You move into New Testament times. The tithe is a floor. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, why don't you just go crazy with generosity? Because why? Because I've made you rich through my poverty. And uh, so don't limit yourself to the tithe. All right, let me ask you a follow-up question to that that um, I've asked myself in the past or been curious about. So the 10%, let's just say that's my, that's my floor, that's where I am, that's what I'm working towards. Uh, does that mean 10% anywhere, like to organizations sure. or to other people, or right. is that 10% to the church? Yeah. I'm a little hesitant to even speak to that. Here's why. Because um, these kind of questions can become legalistic, mm. and I don't want to be legalistic. What Jesus was trying to do was not put burdens on our shoulders, but lift them off so that we could experience his blessings that work like a sail that has captured the wind that's propelling it forward. But with that uh, preface, let me say, here's what Suzanne and I did. I'll just tell you how we've worked this out. She and I have always said, the storehouse of the Lord we think is the local church. Mm -hmm. So, we are going to give back to the local church that we are at 10%. But we do also give offerings above that tithe that we support some uh, missionaries, some people on campus, on crew, staff, some uh, World Vision little children. Um, and so those are above and beyond. The risk, and then of course, uh, in the above and beyond, we also give it the school deal for the PT. You know, I think the temptation is, if, if I'm speaking for us, if the were lines start uh, changing that and saying we'll just lump it all together, it's easy to begin to say, well, really, this is roundaboutly giving to God. And, and, you know, people are like, now, what about the Republican National and the Democrat? That's kind of giving to God. It's like, yeah, I don't know that, that. Go ahead and give to those things. But I'd say, why don't you tithe first to the storehouse of the Lord, and then you do the, those things above that uh, as you feel led. Good. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, okay, so another question came in that said, um, Pastor Ken, I have many friends who have criticized a megachurch uh, for having flat screens, nice facilities, production teams, paid workers and kids ministry. And so understand that these things are necessary in our times to attract, to attract unbelievers. But I'm curious what your thought is on this issue. On this issue on the tension there. I think that their well, friends are feeling. Yeah, right. So, so, well, I think I'm agreeing with the questioner. You're, mm -hmm. you're saying, I understand this is necessary mm -hmm. to reach people. I agree. Mm -hmm. That is the, the, the rationale behind it. Um, now, that said, I'll be the first to uh, say, we have to be very careful. I mean, you know this from being on our staff, and I mean, we're always looking at budgets. And I am regularly saying to our staff, let's remember, these are the offerings and the tithes of hardworking people who have entrusted these dollars to be stewarded by the church. Mm -hmm. Do we really need that? Um, or could we go another year or two with what we've already got? Um, it is a daily uh, struggle that we're navigating because the questioner is right. If you're going to reach people, mm -hmm. they don't want to come into musty, uh, sort of stinky 
buildings and many times they don't want to come in uh, where there's not a vibrant children's ministry um, and where there's no staff, you know, but they've got some ladies that have been volunteering forever and they love the Lord and they're doing their best. You know, so there's just this tension that we live in, but um, I always say uh, without any hesitation, we're doing our very best to be very good stewards of that. On the upside of being a larger church, we're able to do so much more good. So for example, last year we gave away outside the walls mm -hmm. of the church, uh, what was it, like a million point seven, I mm -hmm. think, or something like that. If you added in our missions, our bridging, bridging and, our and then you add in the Ben DC mm -hmm. fund, the new church that's doing great mm -hmm. up there, and then the Harvey relief, and then the Syrian relief. I think it all came to about 1.7 or something, eight. Or something. You know, and well, uh, a smaller church just can't do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but I, I think the questioner, the questioner's friends surely wouldn't say, well, you're being stingy and not useful for the Lord. Well, I mean, I guess that's the flip side of the coin. Um, but I wouldn't say that either. I think all of us are trying to do what Jesus has called us to do in the ways that we've been wired um, and equipped to do that most effectively. That's good. You know, so I think that this, what this principle sort of that you're talking about, about good steward and determining, can we go another couple of years, those things, um, how does that apply in our own life? Because mm. I think about, I mean, there is a part in the Bible where Jesus tells the man to go and sell everything mm -hmm. that he owns. The and so you talked today about, you know, mm -hmm. how much do how much do I need? How do yeah. I balance that? How do I make yeah. those decisions? Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah, you know, and that is a great question. And I think it's a question which should always cause us a little inner wrestling. Mm -hmm. I still wrestle uh, with it. And I think that's healthy. Mm -hmm. Because I think if we ever get to the point that we say, there, I got to 13%, I'm more than tithing. I'm get but if we lock it up and say, there, I'll never think about that again. Are we really living by faith mm -hmm. at that point? Or have we just put it on autopilot? Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is where we have to remember what the Lord wants is our heart, mm -hmm. not the legalistic amount of money. He's not, he doesn't need the money. Um, he wants our heart. What is our heart most tied to this side of heaven, uh, outside of our loved ones? Mm -hmm. uh, our money. Mm -hmm. we, that just somehow makes us feel safer, even though the story makes clear, yes, you're not safe from anything. You could get hit by the bus today. And then what? You weren't safe. You just thought that you were, you know. And, and so I think that there is, as we grow in our faith, a healthy tension that we should continue to say, is this the right thing um, for us? Um, now, you can slip over the edge on either side. I already illustrated the edge of... Um, one extreme, the other extreme, I think people sometimes can be uh, a little bit joyless or legalistic. Uh, well, you should never, you can only drive uh, a Toyota, but you could never drive the, what's the next one up? The Acura or the? Infinity. Infinity or whatever. Yep. But that's too much. It's like, well, that's isn't that rather arbitrary? Mm. I mean, again, let's go back and ask the Latin Americans uh, who are driving our hand-me-down stuff. Is there really that much difference? You know, so I think we, you know, at least what I'm trying to do is um, what John Wesley said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you mm. can. Um, if we're going to make an expenditure, if we're going to make a purchase, uh, Suzanne and I try to f say, okay, is this a wise thing? 
is it, are we being impulsive? Do, have we really thought about it? Have we slept on it a few nights? Uh, maybe this will pass in a week. No, maybe this is really something that would be very good. It'd be helpful for the kids or for family. Or, let's do this one. Um, but we're doing it within a responsible budget. Um, and there's great freedom when we live with that sense of favor um, from the Lord. It's good. But it's not simple. Yeah, and, it's and very what complex you, yes, and it takes yes. risk. And, for those and I think of, a constant state of reevaluating. And that's yeah. the way it should be, yeah. isn't it? Because if we're really living by faith, mm -hmm. then we can't ever lock this thing up and uh, put on an autopilot for the next 30 years. Awesome. Well, thank you for the challenge today and uh, the things that we should really wrestle with as we resync with God. So this has been a great series. Looking forward to next week. All right. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.